Do you want to hear what I have in my notes like immediately? Oh my God, please. I just have like the coming up on is insane. <laughs> and it has some quote, someone saying like, he told us how he cooked them, what they tasted oh. like. I was like, I don't want to know that. I when I scream about having a weird job, I, I there's a line. Like, I don't want to know that. I know. This messed me up. I cried. This whole thing. I sat in the office like right next to you and basically cried for four hours. It's a bad scene. I know. <laughs> you know what I really like though? What? Jillian Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Um, girl, before we get to the show, I just got to remind the people we are making our Broadway debuts. Look, I can't even really talk about it. I know. I'm so excited. You guys, it's almost sold out. It's June 1st. We are inviting our fancy Broadway friends, Jessica Guarini, who you know from American Idol and Broadway, mm-hmm. Ellen Marsh, and Leslie Margarita, Olivia Award winner. We are recapping that documentary, Frank Serpico, from Netflix from this year. I don't really know anything about it, but it's from that Al Pacino movie. It's all New York. Get yeah. ready to know how the wallpaper in the downstairs bath was. <laughs> Attica! Right? <That's> <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. You only we have about 70 tickets left, so if you're coming to see us make our Broadway debut and be the first podcast to ever play Broadway, I know. Come make history with us. Go to truecrimeobsessed.com, click on the CS Live link, get your ticks. Yep. Also, if you want more Jillian and me, you guys, get in the Patreon. It's where we do all the series that you want us to cover. So it's like Making a Murderer, Don't F with Cats, The Menendez Murders. Right. We just did the Aaron Hernandez doc on Aaron Netflix. Hernandez, Lacey Peterson. It's Lorena. Over, Lorena. It's over a hundred full bonus episodes for you to binge right this second. So get your phone storage ready. Uh-huh. And for five bucks you get all of that ad free go to patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or go to our website click on the patreon link i'm going down i usually go patreon link patreon link patreon link i said it was cute no i know i know i'm just trying to mix it up i'm trying to keep it fresh for you okay we've been married for a while now we have been married i mean we really gotta spice it up a little bit because it's real boring over here what are you talking about What are we talking about today? We're talking about Dahmer on Dahmer. So, you guys, this is a two-parter from Oxygen. We are releasing episode one right now. Episode two is available right now and ad-free at the $5 level on the Patreon. It's going to be our regular episode. Next week, Um, this was really hard. I cried watching this, and I almost never do that watching these documentaries. Yeah, I felt very, um, like, physically ill through a lot of it. Very don't F with cats. Like, uh-huh. that kind of, like, I just got to ground myself, put my feet on the floor, and yeah. yikes. You know, trigger warning, you guys, it's pretty gruesome. Like, it's Oxygen, and one of the things I love about the Oxygen documentaries is that they're pretty PG and what they show. So you're never surprised by seeing something really gross or really graphic. But we hear a lot of like graphic descriptions of things and we just have to talk about it because it's what's in the documentary. Yeah. When you're a visual person like me, it doesn't matter that they don't play. It's almost worse when they don't see it because then my <laughs> imagination gets to keep me up at night. Uh-huh, so uh-huh, that's uh-huh. Fun. It's real uh-huh. fun being me. <laughs> uh-huh. It sucks to be me. <laughs> that's from Avenue Q, everybody. Yeah. I know society will never be able to forgive me. I know the families of the victims will never be able to forgive me for what I have done. Your Honor, it is over now. If we're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer, we're talking about evil. He said, when you find out what I did, you're going to want to kill me. This man killed 15 people, ate parts of their body. I consider myself a survivor. He's one of the great monsters of our time. I loved Jeff because he was our son. This gave it horrific dimensions that went beyond the typical serial slayer. Crazy sick. Definition of evil. He was more normal than we want to think he was. And I thought that I'd just try to live as normally as possible. 
just bury it, but things like that don't stay buried forever. It's very Bundy, and you know how I feel about Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. It's very like, he didn't look like a serial killer. Right. And I'm like, yes, he does. And it's like, oh, wow. I just have to hear about some like mediocre white dude, how he just, he was so charming. And I know. so this, who cares? <laughs> uh. I'm so, like, I, I know, I know. So listen, we got to talk right away about Nancy. What's her name? Nancy Glass, which is not like a verbal typo. No. It's, I'm not, we're not saying Nancy Grace. Her name is Nancy Glass. <laughs> I wonder if she's related to Peter Glass or whoever it was who called Jan Brady in that episode where she made up a boyfriend. George Glass. George Glass. My boyfriend, George Glass. <laughs> sure, Jan. <laughs> So, like, the whole deal with this is that, like, this Nancy Glass person did this sit-down one-on-one interview with Jeffrey Dahmer, like, in the 90s. Yeah. And for some reason, like, I guess they waited two decades uh-huh. to make an Oxygen movie out of it. Not celebrating the anniversary. What? Like, it's all these years later, and, like, let's bring up Dahmer again. Like, I know. What? I'm Nancy Glass. In 1991, I'm sitting in a newsroom, and a story comes in that there's been a serial killer in Milwaukee. He killed people. He dismembered them. And worse, he was a cannibal. Well, at first, you just don't believe this. I mean, you got to look at it twice. And then, as a journalist, you say, I really want to get this story. But I wanted to say, it starts with her, but it's kind of a news reporter, and I wrote it out for you. Oh, God, okay. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm, o- I'm always nervous you're going to break everything when you hand me I this know, gargantuan <laughs> ancient computer. From the, what, the 90s? Is this Nancy it's Glasses a, from the 90s? Excuse you, that is officially a Dead Sea Scroll, that thing. Okay. And this is a cold read. Cold read. For years, a serial killer had been preying on the city of Milwaukee. Finally, in the summer of 1991, it all comes to an end. A frightened man in handcuffs approaches police. He leads them to the home of Jeffrey Dahmer. That's a long one. It's a, whoever wrote this for Nancy Glass. Back in the 90s. Back in the 90s. That's the style that they wrote it in. It's very ridiculous. Yeah, it was probably a man. I'm sure. Not saying that Nancy Glass couldn't write her own copy. I'm just saying that's the nature of the world we live in. Yeah. So this is another thing, like, welcome to Oxygen. It's like we get a 20-minute coming up on, then the opening credits come, and then we get even more, like, to be seen. Can we just start the thing? You, you already have me forced to focus on Dahmer. Can we just start and get this thing over with? I truly, I truly almost vomited just now. I have a happy hour. Like, I can't. I so Nancy explains, like, she heard about the case when he was caught in 1991, right? Yeah, and Nancy Glass is sitting there being like, I'm going to get the scoop. Right, yeah, she you has know. a little thing in her hat, a totally. little card in her hat that says press. And so she wrote to Jeffrey Dahmer's parents. yeah. For a year and a half. I started communicating with Jeffrey Dahmer's parents and built a relationship with them. Eventually, Jeffrey and I started writing back and forth. And then, a year and a half later, I found myself sitting opposite him at the Columbia Correctional Institute in Wisconsin. Eventually, Jeffrey Dahmer's like, yeah, I'll talk to her. Right. <laughs> so she became friends with his parents first. And there's a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he killed an eight seventeen people, guys. We got a lot to get through. There's just a lot. So this is sort of intercut with clips of the 1991 interview right. with Jeffrey Dahmer and Nancy Glass, and like present day Jeffrey Dahmer's father, his stepmother, some survivors. Like yeah. it's just intercut a lot here. The one thing I want to talk about before we get into it is that Nancy Glass, and you know she loves getting this question at a cocktail party because she's like, "Hi, I'm Nancy Glass. I once interviewed Jeffrey Dahmer." That's how she introduces herself. Absolutely. Does she have Twitter? It's on her Twitter bio. Totally. <laughs> but she says that like. People always ask her when she sat down with him, was she afraid? You know, people always wonder, was I afraid of him? 
Well, I wasn't because by the time I was sitting opposite him, his killing spree was over. In fact, he appeared to be completely normal. And that was actually what was so unsettling. It's a legit question, because she is like, there's no glass separating them. She's sitting right in front of this man who she knows ate 17 people. And she says, look, I wasn't afraid because he just seemed so normal, which is how he got away with this for so long. Yeah, and she's like, and the killing spree was over. And right. I'm like, and you weren't his type. Right. <laughs> Like, right. not, yeah. not saying, yeah. I don't want to be in a room with someone who's done that. I'm not saying totally. that I'm this, this fearless person, but it's like, he's in prison. Right. He has this whole thing of like, I just, this is where I should be. Right. I'm a horrible person. Right. I should be here. I should be punished for my sins, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And also Nancy, he was gay and right. preyed on other gay men, mostly gay men of color. Right. So yeah. Nancy girl with your blonde hair and blue eyes, like you're good. I know. You're good. <laughs> don't worry about it. But she wants to say that. Like, right. And like, how many people have really asked her that? Right. It's very like many people are saying everyone asks me it's like what when you walk in like I'm here I'm the one who spoke to Jeffrey Dahmer line is to the left ladies let's go start asking me questions like Nancy that is kind of how I enter a room I do enter a room like hi it's me even when I've seen you four times that day and I've just gone to get water, I come back and I'm like, hi, I'm here. Are you excited? <laughs> the best part is that neither of us are Jeffrey Dahmer or have any of those oh, urges. So God. keep those hugs coming. Because this is my job, I think about these like pedophiles, these murderers, yeah. these rapists. And I'm mm -hmm. like, thank God I'm none of those things. I haven't they slept in two and a half years. Yeah, I know, I know the gig. <laughs> <laughs> So she sits down with Jeffrey Dahmer and her very first question to him is, were you molested? Girl. Were you molested? Never, never. In your childhood, you have any memories of anything that you would associate with what you became? No, that's the that's the strange thing. I can't pinpoint any anything. Which, what the guy up? I know it's like 1991, and yeah. we've come a, a long way, kind of depending right. on who you ask or what day it is or who's speaking at the moment. Um, but she's trying to ask him. <laughs> we've come a long way, or have we? Or, or we haven't. <laughs> Just, Jury's out, guys. Yeah, I don't know. So she's trying to just get to the bottom of why he is the way he is. Right. And of course, he has to have been molested. I it's know. the only thing that'll make it's sense. It's the only thing. And Tomer's like, no, like <laughs> I had a pretty great. I mean, I want in a word, it was great. Like it's an true. excellent childhood. Like my parents were awesome. And and then it's like, er, now we're back to the 60s. Right. Welcome to the 60s. <laughs> whoa, whoa, oh, 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 mama, go, go, go. Oh, sorry. We were stopping. That's hairspray. We were stopping. <laughs> Um, that's our spray. We are looking for the last wherever we can get them today, you can guys. Can you tell? I know. Can you tell? Know. We're getting them. God damn it. If I have to sing my way through this entire thing, I will do it. So we're in the 60s and we're, we're like diving into Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood and we meet Dr. Fred Berlin, who was a forensic psychiatrist. There's no single history that causes someone to become a, a serial killer. Many of the individuals who are serial killers, not all of them, but many have had very traumatic uh, early life experiences. Uh, in Mr. Dahmer's case, none of that seemed to be present. So this Dr. Fred guy, he confirms that, yeah, no, Jeffrey Dahmer didn't have any trauma in his childhood at all. Yeah. And what he's not saying is that doesn't always make people serial killers. Right. You know how I feel about this. That, yeah. like, it's ridiculous. I, you guys, if you're not on the pates, I gave a monologue in the Hernandez talk about how, like, being sexually abused as a kid does not make you gay. That's not it's, a thing. Yeah. God, or murderous. Right. Like, right. I mean, you guys. I know. But then we meet Lionel, Jeffrey Dahmer's <laughs> father. To which I screamed silently because there is something really 
really crazy about meeting Jeffrey Dahmer's relatives. That is fucking crazy. It is. Uh, just a, a quick note. <laughs> yeah. This is not a visual medium. A quick note about Lionel. Jeffrey's father, Lionel, now in his 80s, wanted to talk to us about the boy he knew. But he only agreed to an on-camera interview if he could wear sunglasses. In his mind, they make him less identifiable. Lionel has agreed to talk to Oxygen, yep. but he'll only do it wearing sunglasses, and not just any sunglasses. The biggest, yeah. most insane Anna Wintour, right. eat your heart out, gigantic glasses in the world. Lionel thinks this makes him less identifiable. You guys, here's what I have in my notes 8,000 times. His last name is Dahmer. His name is Lionel Dahmer. So he's wearing the sunglasses, but he hasn't changed his name. The minute they say he's not identifiable, pause, <laughs> googed. He's the first result in image search. With no sunglasses. With no sunglasses. And it's like, I understand, like, he's an older guy. Yeah. But it's like, that's where it's like, Oxygen, can your producers, like, not make this guy look like an idiot? Right. And just say. But it was his condition, not theirs. Right. But they can say, look, we, we can put you in a darker room these glasses just make him look like an idiot and i it's just they didn't and, do right by him on this and i agree and even nancy glass george glass's mother tells us <laughs> he thinks it makes him less identifiable mm -hmm. girl it doesn't no it, it most certainly doesn't no. so here's the thing about where it's like oh unreliable narrator jeffrey dahmer he's also a murderer and like a rapist and a horrible person right but he's like no you guys my childhood was super perfect don't worry about that er, no not necessarily <laughs> because lionel and lionel's wife sherry who is not Jeffrey Dahmer's mother. She's his stepmother. Yeah. We get from them that Joyce, Dahmer's mother, struggled with mental illness for his entire childhood. What they really focus on, and it comes back later, is that Sherry, the stepmom, says that Joyce wouldn't let Dahmer have physical contact with anyone. When Jeff was born, the grandparents were not allowed to hold the baby. Joyce didn't want anybody touching the baby or breathing on it. She was afraid of germs. They, they virtually had no contact with Jeff as a baby. That's a big deal. I mean, we talk about this a lot in the foster care system that like if babies aren't touched enough, they don't develop an attachment. You can get an attachment disorder and that can lead to all kinds of like mental illness and behavioral shit. Right. That's really real. Yeah. Because, so they say like she wouldn't let anyone touch him because of germs. She barely touched him only to change his diaper. And we learn later that like that physical connection is what Jeffrey Dahmer says he was always after to begin with. But we also never get an answer. Like we never get a right. real doctor to tell us like, what makes somebody a serial killer? Because guess what, guys? Spoiler. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know what makes somebody a serial we killer. We have no idea. Um, also, I just have the note, Sherry Dahmer. Sweetie, it's time to change that last name. I mean. You just got to change it. I mean. Can you imagine, like, you're waiting for your reservation at Chili's and it's like Dahmer party of four? You know when was the time to change it? In 1991 when he was caught. Right. <laughs> just go back to your maiden name, sweetie. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Dahmer. Or, like, take this opportunity to pick a new one. Right. Find who you are. <laughs> Pensavali is available. <laughs> I mean, come on. No, it's not. <laughs> Electricity and orbit, those are available. <laughs> Just ask any cult. So by high school, we learn that Dahmer was interested in taxidermy. During his adolescence, Dahmer develops a hobby that would raise eyebrows in the years that followed. Were you obsessed with dead animals? Is that true? I was interested in, in taxidermy in high school and experimented with uh, 
preserving the bones of dogs and things like that. Okay, okay, okay. I'm glad we're talking about this. For like two seconds. We really got to speed through it. Okay. I hate it. <laughs> but here's my question. Taxidermy is a thing where like you take dead animals and you stuff them. Well, here's the thing. What I have is not everyone who's interested in taxidermy and like insides of animals or biology or how people yeah. or things work becomes a serial killer. Most of them are just called scientists right. and biologists. <laughs> That's fine. When we had to do dissections in biology in high school, I was allowed to go to the library. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. No. But we need scientists to figure out. That's how we get <laughs> vaccines for the coronavirus, girl. If you're so, if you're so scared. <laughs> We need scientists to give a shit about what's going on inside us. I totally agree. But I remember my biology teacher looking at our table and being like, oh, she doesn't need to be here. Yeah, Miss no, Hines, Miss Hines, go to the library. Yeah, bye. <laughs> so we're still back in Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood and we get Martha Schmidt. We're getting his like high school friends. Uh-huh. And Martha Schmidt's like, Jeff's behavior began to be so strange that I felt very uncomfortable being with him alone. He liked to act, in his words, crazy. He would just start shrieking, or he would twist himself up in a grotesque way. And I remember one time asking him why he behaved this way. And he said, I just like to shake people up. You know, we were friends, but he was real weird, you guys. She was like, yeah, one, felt uncomfortable being alone with him. Yeah. And two, he would intentionally shake things up. And I'm like, <laughs> Dr. Martha Schmidt, sociologist. Now, hold on a second. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Martha? And he would just be like a kooky guy making faces or whatever. Let the record show I don't like Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not dismissing him at all. And yeah. maybe all of these things together. Uh-huh. The attachment disorder, perhaps. I don't know if that was even a thing. The taxidermy, the shaking people up, the f uh, uncomfortable being alone in a room. Maybe when it all adds up, it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, dude. He like was a serial killer from the beginning. <laughs> Obviously. In this section, the craziest story is that we learned from some other guy that Jeffrey, for the yearbook, got himself into a whole bunch of pictures in, like, groups that he wasn't in, like the National Honor Society. Uh -huh. And the person, you know, probably, like, the Steve Tipton of the day who was running the yearbook committee saw that Jeffrey Dahmer was in this photo, and rather than retaking it... Whoever was in charge of that in those days, they blacked out his face, and it's really creepy. I had a, a classmate who said years ago... We thought that photo was hilarious. And it's not so funny anymore. So we did this to a bunch of groups that yeah. he wasn't in. Yeah. And I have Karen, probably, who was head of the yearbook <laughs> society or whatever, blacked out his face and all the photos in this really creepy way. And so it, the picture of all these kids with Dahmer's face blacked out appears in the yearbook. We see it. Yeah. And they're like, it used to be really funny to look at that picture, and now it is creepy as fucking hell. It, guess what, Karen? It was creepy way back when. <laughs> so who does that? I know. <laughs> what a weird, like, I want a documentary on that bitch. Like, what kind of person, unless he was just a monster every second of every day in high school, and it's no. like, no, he's not going to be in that goddamn yearbook. You picture. know what it was? It was that, like, to be in the National Honor Society, you needed to have a grade point average of, like, 3.7. Well, and he had, like, a 3.64, and Steve Tipton was not having it. And that's the National Honor Society, fine, but, like, chess club, right? physics club, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Uh, he also was a drinker in school. Beer, scotch. This is so weird. We learned that like he had like beer in his locker and beer in his car and he was just drinking and none of the teachers gave a shit. But Martha tells the story that to me sounded like she happened upon him in chemistry and like third period and he was sitting there with like a rocks glass of scotch just having a morning cocktail. I remember distinctly one morning 
sitting in class next to Jeff, who had his cup of scotch. And I said, Jeff, what is that? He just tossed his head back as though it was no issue at all. And he said, it's my medicine. Martha tells the story like it's no big deal. Like he was just sitting there sipping a scotch. You guys, he's like 16 years old. Right. So we get like some on-screen text and it's like dark fantasies. Okay. Yeah. And we learn that Dahmer would fantasize about joggers that he'd see in his neighborhood. This is kind of a famous story. Like this is one of the only stories about Dahmer that I knew before watching this documentary. Oh, I didn't know this at all. Yeah. Because look, Steve and I are not not guilty of going to Central Park and like sort of, you, you better know, finish that sentence fast. <laughs> sitting by the part where the joggers come by in the summer with their shirts off. Okay. You like and period end of sentence. Period and we've never killed anybody. Look, you have to be a faster talker when Steve and I are no strangers to go into the park and going where the joggers are and... Okay, but I'm just saying, Jeffrey Dahmer was like a young gay kid and probably didn't have a lot of places where he could like see men or like... So he would hide in the woods and like stare at these joggers. He becomes fixated on this one particular jogger. But he had no concept of how to make a relationship with this or any other man. He took a bat, sawed it off and fashioned it as a club hid in the woods anticipating that he would assault this man. Teenage Jeffrey sits nervously waiting to attack. But the jogger he has his eye on doesn't pass that day. They call this weapon a sawed-off bat. A sawed-off bat? What uh, even is that? God only knows what he was going to actually do to this guy. But, like, much to his chagrin, this jogger doesn't come by that day. It was his rest day, thank God. Oh, my God. You guys take the day off from jogging. Jogging gets you nowhere. <laughs> jogging gets you murdered, you guys. Don't jog. <laughs> no, be healthy. But we're just yeah. saying, be careful. Yeah. Be careful out there. Yeah. So high school ends, his parents divorce, and his mother leaves with his little brother that they also had. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, hang on, can we slow down? Down on this story where it's like the mom just pieces out with the younger brother. She like obviously knows something's up with Jeff. Right. And then Lionel moves into a hotel and leaves Jeffrey Dahmer, a high school kid, alone by himself. Yeah. Like everyone knows this kid's kind of fucking creepy and both of his parents, according to this Oxygen documentary, just abandon him. Right. And one of these psychiatrists is like, and that's what made him kill. He did not like that feeling. He didn't like his parents leaving him. And it's in that context that he committed his first homicide. Yeah, they're like, and that's what he committed his first murder. It's like, yeah, well, this kid with fantasies and urges is left alone. Right. Yeah. And he's an alcoholic because yeah. he's trying to like numb the pain. Yeah. Right. And so he has, this is, you guys, just trigger warning. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start to get bad. Uh, yeah. At worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's been all fun and games up till now, but you guys, it's about to take a turn. We haven't sung a show tune in like five whole minutes. One uh, singular so- <laughs> sensation. Every little. All right. Ready? Yeah. All right. Good. His next fantasy was fantasizing about picking up a hitchhiker. Right. Taking him home and, quote, having total dominance over him, which just makes me crazy. Right. So we meet Steve Hicks. He's 18. He's a hitchhiker. Yeah. It's June 18th, 1978. And Dahmer picks him up. They hang out. They drink. They smoked. And this is something that we learn. Like, the guys were going with him willingly. That's not a victim blamey thing. It's no. just like he was meeting guys. They thought they were having a nice time and then like disaster strikes. So Steve was like, dude, I got to get to my rock show. Like I'm going to go now. Like this has been great. He said we drank. He wanted to leave and I hit him with a barbell and I killed him. He says I didn't want him to leave me. He like picks up a barbell and hits him over the head with it and then kills the guy like instantly. And he's like, well, I just didn't want him to leave me. And I'm like, bitch, too bad. 
Yeah. So remember, he lives alone in this house. There's nobody there to like be like, did you just kill that guy? It's his parents' house. Right. And so he dismembers him. You guys, like he, I don't know how to explain this in a way that's like not overly graphic, but like he cuts him up and puts him in a planter in the backyard. And then suddenly he's like, well, shit, that isn't too great. It's he's this guy's literally in my backyard. Right. I should probably quote dispose of him elsewhere. So he goes and like gets him. All of the body parts are in a trash bag. I know it's t- got, we got to talk uh, no, about I it. I know. I know. I know. He takes the trash bag, puts it in his car and he's like driving to the dump. It's like the middle of the night and we're told he's driving erratically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's also hammered. He tells right. us over and over and over again that he drinks to get through this stuff. Right. And he's like driving erratically. A cop pulls him over. He was so nervous that he was driving erratically. He was stopped by a police officer. Mr. Dahmer kept his wits about him. He told the police officer that his parents had recently divorced. He said he couldn't sleep and wanted to take a garbage bag to the garbage dump. The police officer shined a flashlight in, saw a green garbage bag. And like, there's a lot of blame that goes to this cop and I don't really get it. This cop pulls this kid over. This kid says like, my parents just got divorced. I'm really fucked up about it. I'm just trying to take the trash out. I'm kind of a mess right now. He talked his way out of the ticket. We're told there's like the trash bag right there in the seat. The cop doesn't inspect the car. So this is the first of like many times that Dahmer just like gets away with it. Right. And can you imagine like Steve's parents reported him missing in 1978 and they don't have any closure until 1991 when Dahmer's arrested. And that's the thing. Like like this is the heartbreaker of this case is that like so many of these kids just go missing and there are just no answers. Yeah. So remember Dr. Martha, his friend? This woman, Martha, was his like friend quotes in high school. But she was uncomfortable being alone with <laughs> right. him. But she's just like, hey, oxygen calls. Hold on. She ran a comb for her hair. She is ready for her close up. Martha, the sociologist, doesn't get a lot of TV offers, I think. She's ready to talk about her friend, but not really friend. Yeah. That guy she knew, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. So anyway, she She's back. Yeah, and she's like, I attended Ohio State University, and Jeff did as well. The last time I saw him, he was laying on the sidewalk, passed out, dead drunk. I went over to him, and I tried to shake him into consciousness. And I kept saying, Jeff, wake up, wake up. I knew then that Jeff was gone. Girl, so we ended up going to college together. Crazy. <laughs> and she's like, she says, look, the last time I saw him, he was passed out drunk so bad that she couldn't wake him up. On the side of the road, you guys. Which, look, like, substance abuse here is not funny. That is a no. tra- that is a tragic situation when someone has has been drinking themselves into, you can't wake them up on the street. To be clear, we are pro-cocktail. Oh, we're pro-cocktail. Yeah. But, like, very understanding about substance abuse and that shit's not funny. No. And like when someone needs help, you, you're you honest about it and you help them. But you and I are having a cocktail right. wherever we want. <laughs> exactly. But and, Martha- and don't count my drinks. I- don't count them. <laughs> don't, don't give me that like, what is that, your third? Don't. <laughs> I'm not asking you how many bourbons you're having. Leave me alone. Have I ever counted your drinks? You don't own me. I'm just trying to think of songs to sing. We got to get through this summer. Never once have you counted no. my drinks. Not a single I would time. Never. That's you what, would never. That's what we have husbands for, that's- girl. <laughs> That's true. That is a a friendship ender with with the two of us. With other people, if you need it, you listen to your friends. They're trying to help you. To that point, Shari, the stepmother, who was with us a lot here, she says, look, we knew he had a substance abuse problem. We found out he was drinking at school and failing out, so we brought him home. We took Jeff for psychiatric care. We took him to institutions. 
But as the old saying goes, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I want to talk about Sherry for a minute here because Sherry came into Jeff Dahmer's life when he was 18 years old. She was not his birth mother. I don't know if we'll get into it later, so I'm going to say it here. She talks about how she was the one who taught he and his brother how to clean a house, how to like, you know, clean the refrigerator, cook your own goddamn meals. Like, I love this woman. She never abandons him. And it's the kind of thing like Jeffrey Dahmer is obviously a monster, Mm -hmm. but like she considers herself his mother and she doesn't leave him. She loves him. She loves him to this day and it's like I'm a mother too like I understand that I get it this is why I was crying so much I was crying I mean all of these victims were murdered in a horrible way and oxygen thank god they spare us a lot of the details so my crying wasn't as much for that not because it's not as awful and tragic we just didn't get into it as much and I was approaching this as a parent of like when you are faced with that decision of like my child is an absolute monster What do I do? Well, I was just going to say, I was going to hold up the mirror to you a little bit and say, well, you see yourself in her. Because there have been countless times on this podcast where you've said, yeah, I'll admit Daisy's a monster, but I'm not going to stop loving her if she happens to do something to do that. I'm not saying tomorrow you're going to say that. Unless I don't know how tonight goes. It's early. (laughs) 7.04. But you've said so many times. So I think you see yourself as like, wow, so you can do that, right? Right. Like Here's an example from your eyes as someone who's just like, I have the last name Dahmer still for some reason. I know. I totally think he's a monster. Everything he did was horrible and atrocious. However. I love him. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I love Sherry. I really, I, she just cries her way through this whole thing. And I, I felt a kinship with her. So then we got this whole story about how Jeffrey Dahmer joins the military. He's only in the military for like a year and a half. Well, his dad thinks that's the only way to fix him is send him to the army. Which is a kind of an old school way of thinking. But in this instance, it kind of works. Like Jeffrey Dahmer goes dormant for nine years or does he? Or does he? Because I was going to say, wait a second, girl. My notes say something totally different. <laughs> Did you stop? Because I still have six pages of notes here. <laughs> no, because Nancy Glass tells us that Nancy is breaking a story here, you guys. There are two men that were in the military with Jeffrey Dahmer. Both of them were his bunkmates who are here to tell us that he actually wasn't dormant during this nine-year period that everybody thinks he was. He was drugging and raping people in the military, and these two guys are here to tell us about it. For the first time, two of his fellow servicemen are making accusations the public has never heard before. Right, their names are Billy Joe Capshaw and Preston Davis. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the stories are exactly that. Like, Preston tells us that it happened to him and he, it really fucked up his life. He had alcohol and drug abuse issues. It really messed up his marriages. My career went downhill after this. I got a DWI in um, 1985 in the military. I had a rocky marriage with my first wife. I wound up getting out of the military in 86, divorcing her. Became estranged from my son. Substance abuse alcohol abuse. Um, That's what a lot of victims do to try to suppress that pain. Billy Capshaw is basically the same story. Like, Billy Capshaw looks kind of like a mess to this day. Like, you can see that, you know, they both talk about how they didn't report it. You couldn't men on men rape. That was oh. not a thing you could talk about in the military. And these guys were super young, too. There's guys in there, and they got guns, and they're mean. They've been to Vietnam. As a 17-year-old kid, would you really get that out in your unit that someone raped you what 17 year old is allowed to join the army like yeah 70s you guys were wild I know. Crazy <laughs> shit going on in 70s. but so Dahmer was kicked out of the army not because of the rapes but because of his drinking right they didn't know about the rapes they knew about the drinking right <laughs> I just want to be very clear yeah and he moves back with his dad and Sherry and this is where like the dad and Sherry are both telling us I did as much as I thought I could he seemed to be uh an alcoholic so we got help that way and that sort of thing look we knew he was fucked up we did 
everything we could for him. Yeah, he'd sneak out of counseling. He'd lie. And what they're saying is that they wanted to help the substance abuse. They're, right. They have no idea about any other urges or fantasies or anything violent yeah. towards another human being. Right. So they decide, you know what? Nothing is really working. Let's send him up with his grandmother. He's going to pray the gay away. I Excuse was- me. <laughs> I was really like, what? Dahmer's grandmother believes that through God, Jeffrey will change his sexuality. So he attends church and gets a job drawing blood at a local blood bank. Pray the gay away. They're going to pray the gay away with grandma. Because I was like, oh, wait, so I guess he came out to his family? Because it's just told, like, shipped him up to grandma, pray the gay away. And I'm like, okay, so I guess Sherry and Lionel knew he was gay. Okay. The one thing that we also learned, though, is that when he goes to live with grandma, he gets a job drawing blood at a blood bank. How ghoulish is that? I know. That that really gave me a chill. Except when it's needed and very important. No, I'm saying, no, 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 giving blood. For Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. Look, I could talk about the politics of giving blood forever. You know I'm not allowed to give blood. I know. I, I so can't look, I could that. talk about it for forever, but I'm just saying that like Jeffrey Dahmer, can you imagine Specifically being like, Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. drawing blood is very ghoulish. You're absolutely very, very correct. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. Yes. Again, from a science point of view. Yes. Needed. Needed. And you should go give blood even though I'm not allowed to. You should still do it, but you should also be lobbying to change these fucking archaic rules. Right. If I didn't have back sweat coming yeah. down me yeah. and ruining my Columbo shirt, I would say, hold on, let's just do another podcast on that because I could talk about it forever. I think that is so fucking stupid. I know. It's unreal. And it's real. If you guys don't believe me, give it a goog right now. Like, it, this is a real thing. It's oh, yeah. unbelievable. It's horrible. So during this time, he exposes himself to a woman and children at the state fair and he gets arrested. And once again, we get another story of him like just getting away with it because he was remorseful to the judge. In court, he appears remorseful, which will become a routine for him. And all he gets is a fine, $50 plus court fees. And a lot of people are just like, well, he just, exp- whatever. He just like showed his, his junk. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> agree with that. You can't just show your junk, yeah. Louis C.K., when people don't act. Like, you can't yeah. just do that. No. So people are just like, whatever. He'll pay the fine. He seems sorry. Right. Let's just Let's let him just loose. Let's get him out of here. Let's just get him out of here. So what Dahmer wanted was, quote, a partner who would lay with him all night. And we're learning this from like his psychiatrists and doctors and all this stuff. Yeah. His goal was finding the partner who would lie there all night so that he could have the illusion of all the time in the world to be close to that person. And his strategies for finding that partner were creative and varied, but mostly ineffective. So, okay, this really struck me because they're- It's getting real dark. It's getting really dark, you guys, and wait till we get to episode two. I'm wringing my hands. I know. Ouch. (laughs) Episode two is wow. But like the thing that we are told here but from one of the doctors is that he was looking for a substitute for killing. I very much believe that like you as a person, no matter what you're born with, if you're a pedophile, if you're a serial killer, if you're born with that sort of monstrous instinct, you are very much responsible for the actions that you take as a result of it. But it is a very interesting thing to see that he was like really trying to do anything he kind of could to not have to kill people. And this is where we learn about escalations and th- this shit always escalates. And also what he's doing is still illegal. So yes, so yes. let's dive into like how he's trying to avoid killing people. Yes. But it's still disgusting and illegal. It's so gross. Are you going to talk about the scanning of the obituaries or should I? I think you just did, girl. He was scanning obituaries and then trying to find like people who had recently died. He would then go to the viewing to see if he was sexually attracted to the corpse. And if he was, he would go and try to dig them up. I'm going to go 
I'm gonna lean into that word ghoulish. I'm it's, gonna just I'm gonna I'm at ghoulish. I'm gonna stay there. It's a word we don't use as much as I, <laughs> I want us I to. Know. Stay tuned next week where I use the word ghoulish every five seconds. I'm gonna be like, you know who's ghoulish this week? So we learn like, oh no, 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 but wait, you guys, it's okay because the ground was too frozen, so he couldn't dig up the body. Oh, okay. On the two occasions that he did that, the ground was too frozen. He couldn't get anywhere trying to dig it up. He didn't actually get to like grave rob these corpses. It is so And then fucking do like creepy. unspeakable things with them. Then we learn about an attractive mannequin. <laughs> you guys, he went into a store. He found a mannequin he thought was hot. He hid in the bathroom until the store closed. And then he stole the mannequin. He hid in a restroom in the department store till after closing. Stole the mannequin. Managed to get out of the building. Took the mannequin home to his grandmother's house. And for some period of time was satisfied lying next to the attractive mannequin. For him, it was exactly what he wanted. Like a partner that would shut up. For now. Yeah, I know. That like wouldn't have opinions or thoughts or want to connect them in any way. Lay there. And we see these creepy like reenactments of this guy like rubbing the stomach of the mannequin. Whose resume is that on? I <laughs> TV. I Oxygen. <laughs> Director. Somebody. Karen. <laughs> Roll. Dahmer. It's fucking crazy. Young Dahmer. But then we learn that the grandmother, who I think is garbage because she wants to pray the gay away, but that doesn't save her from the heart attack she must have had the day that she walked into his bedroom and found the mannequin in his bed. Right, so she threw it out. I think she threw it out after she screamed her fucking head off. You don't know it's a mannequin right away. No. You just like see a part of a body in a bed and you scream. Like, I would have a heart attack and die. Yeah. So now... What's he going to do? He decides, for whatever reason, he goes from mannequin to next stop, the bathhouse. Right. (laughs) So here's what he would do at the bathhouses. He would meet men and strike up a conversation. He would be interested. According to the documentary, they would be interested. And then he would take them home. Yeah. Consensually. The men would be like, yeah, cool. Like, let's go hang out. And then when they got to Dahmer's place, that's when everything got really, really bad. Yeah. So he would drug them. And then rape them when they were totally knocked out. Because again, what he wanted was for them to be totally out. Like he wanted them to be dead, basically. Right, yes. So he would knock them out so badly that they had no idea what was happening. And then like he would pretend, according to one of these doctors, as he was raping them, that they were dead. Right. And now it's 1987. And this is what Oxygen says. The spree begins. The ground was too cold to dig up dead bodies, which is like. Zero to a hundred, girl. I know, I know. Start with a mannequin. <laughs> I know. Like, why is the mannequin the backup for the thing? Like, it's so horrible. I know. So, Do you mean it's ghoulish? It's so ghoulish. It's so ghoulish. So ghoulish. And so we're starting to hear from him, right? Yeah. We're starting to hear from him more and more now. And he's telling Nancy Glass back in the 90s in this interview that, like, the spree started because, like, all he wanted to do was drug the guys. You right. guys, you, like, right. it's really all he wanted. And he really wants us to know that. And he's I telling know. Nancy Glass, he's like, Nancy, girl, all I wanted to do <laughs> was drug them to the point where they were totally passed out. One time I brought this uh, young man back to the hotel room, the Ambassador Hotel. I was just planning on drugging him and uh, spending the night with him. I had no intention of hurting him. When I woke up in the morning, he uh, had a broken rib here, was heavily bruised. Apparently I had... uh, beating him to death with my fists. And then suddenly I woke up and the guy, I don't know what happened, but he was beaten to death. Yeah, so Jeffrey Dahmer is either lying or he blacked out and beat this guy to death. And this is his first kill in nine years. Right. So then we get going into a commercial. We get this news reporter. Coming up, Dahmer's crimes escalate and the bodies are piling up, Tom. 
I literally have. What's the next thing that I have? Nancy. <laughs> Nancy. Like who wrote this copy? Yeah. Nancy. So the victim was Stephen Tuomi. He was 24 years old. And after not know or lying to Nancy Glass or whatever, he takes Stephen Tuomi's body and he puts it in a suitcase and he brings it to his grandmother's house, the grandmother who wants him to pray the gay away. And yeah. He dismembers the body while she is at church. I mean, oh God. And then he like literally throws the body into the garbage and it's thrown away. Right. Except for a couple of things because Dahmer says he didn't kill these people because he hated them. There wasn't anger there, but he killed them because he wanted to keep them and be with them forever. I had uh, these obsessive uh, desires and and, uh, thoughts wanting to control them, to, uh, I don't know how to put it, possess them permanently. And that is why he would save body parts like uh, bones and tendons and just things that made me I will never eat again. The, you know, know. The, the Dahmer diet I don't want to condone it <laughs> but if you never want to eat again look up some shit on Jeffrey Dahmer. I know it's really they, I mean this was the stuff that I was like literally gagging. It's horrible. Listening to. Yeah yeah yeah. So now we're in uh, 1988 we have two more victims James Doxtator who's four 14 14. and Richard Guerrero who's 23 and he's starting to have a pattern now so he would drug these people he would strangle them when they were passed out and then dismember them it's at this time Dahmer hones his craft in disposing of bodies learning how flesh dissolves in acid and bones would need to be crushed up and tossed in the trash and this is all happening in his grandmother's house in her basement as a matter of fact (laughs) while she's at church happy Sunday everybody so one day granny's like Oh, God. Ooh, she comes downstairs. I cannot believe you just made a snap. If I did that, you would yell at me for a week. Why? I don't know. How long have we been married? I, it's been a couple of years. You don't know what sets me off. I know. That's a real problem. I would never question your taste in the wallpaper in the downstairs bath. Not Because ever. it would be perfect. Right. It would be perfectly... Our style, but also very welcoming people. Whatever. It doesn't matter. (laughs) The bottom line is the grandmother does not like the smells coming from the basement. According to Lionel, his grandmother objects to the smells coming from the basement, but apparently doesn't figure out what's going on. Or maybe she just doesn't want to. But she does nothing about it. Right, exactly. Okay. Uh, Well, whatever. So Sherry, the stepmom. Who I love. So I guess Granny calls Sherry and is like, Sherry girl, something right. smells, but maybe she's scared to do something about it. I don't know, but she wants to pray the gay away and we hate that. We hate, so we hate that, yeah. She doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from me. Sorry, Granny. <laughs> or not sorry, it doesn't matter. So Sherry's like, all right, fine. Lionel, go up to your mother's house and figure out what's going on in the basement. It's probably the septic tank. <laughs> I love how you're saying his name. I just called him like Lionel, but you really are. It's like I'm me leaning and, into it. Lionel. I, it's like me and Jacqueline from Dirty John. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like Lionel Barrymore to me. It's, I want. It's very old school. It's the glasses. I, it's the stupid sunglasses. I just want to say Lionel. You know when you're like annoyed at someone and you have to stretch their name out. Oh yes. Oh my God. Yes. So right. anyway, so Lionel has to go up there, and and the thing is, Sherry's like, I would send Lionel up to his mother's house to deal with problems, but I really wasn't aware at that time that Lionel 
was too naive to handle the situation. He was too naive. He's not going to deal with his mother. And I'm like, can we talk about the fact that it smells like a dead body in her basement and your son that you kind of don't want to really look at is doing it all? The thing is, Sherry makes it sound pretty clear like she knew what was going on (laughs) and they all kind of knew what was going on and no one wanted to deal with it. So I'm like, Sherry, girl, what did you know and when? And so so his own father's like... He was uh, doing strange things. We thought it was with roadkill. That's what he told us. And uh, I I believed him. Whatever, you're just a weirdo. And <laughs> I'm not going to look into why, but I'm going to do the thing I did earlier. I'm just going to make you live on your own. I'm kicking you out of grandma's house. Totally. That's done. So it's September 1988, and he moves into his own place in Milwaukee. He's out on his own a week. Yeah. And something horrible happens. He brings home a 13-year-old boy and drugs and molests him, which right. is like, oh my God, this guy is a rapist, a murderer, a serial murderer and a cannibal and a pedophile. I know. Oh my God. They're all bad independently, but I when know. you put them together, it's like, God. I know. And he gets arrested for this. Like he like, somebody says weirdly, when this kid said he wanted to go, Dahmer let him go. Just, yeah, just let him go. And so he's arrested and charged. Uh, he's charged with sexual assault against a minor. Right. And we hear the boy's testimony, which is horrible. Yeah. And so like this kid gets away and we meet, this is so fucking crazy. We meet this attorney, Jerry Boyd, yeah. who's here to tell his story. So I don't want to like make Make him a garbage monster, but they're like. It was pretty clear to me that he was a little bit different. I think my son was in uh, freshman in high school at the time. I think he could have whipped Dahmer in a minute. Never would I have believed that he was a killer ever, because there was nothing to indicate to me that he was that way. I mean, it just wasn't there. To be fair to Jerry Boyd, nobody knew about the murdering and the dismembering. That's not what he's being brought up on charges for. Sherry knew a little. But, like, nobody had any confirmation. So, the attorney Jerry is like, look, all I knew was that, like, I'm his lawyer, it's my job to keep him out of jail, and that's what I did. And the thing is, from Jerry's point of view, not mine, but Jerry's, is that, like, look, he fondled him, Yeah. he let him go, and he's a mediocre white guy who is acting very remorseful. No. I would say, in with hindsight of like you know it being 2020, if a grown man fondles a kid, like it's not the first time, and it definitely won't be the last. Oh. You don't let this guy go out on the street. This poor attorney Jerry guy, and I don't know if like if I feel for him or not, but like he is the man that is responsible for Jeffrey Dahmer being back out on the street. He, Imagine that's your that's your calling card, right? He's also the man who like signed the release form for oxygen, so right. he's happy to talk about <laughs> right. it. That's a thing that would weigh heavy on my conscience, right? So nothing really happens, and Dahmer like walks among society, and then by March 25th of the following year just a couple months later he kills 24 year old Anthony Sears and Anthony Sears was a major turning point yeah and again you guys major trigger warning Jeffrey Dahmer has no problem telling Nancy Glass I kept the uh, the mummified uh, head and skull of one of the victims in uh, a a carrying case in my locker at work. And then Oxygen is just like, oh, surprise. So by the way, this was all happening in the middle of the 13-year-old sexual assault case. Right. At the same time. So it's like, lawyer Jerry girl. I know. Oof, Maron, that's not a good look at all. I know. At all. He must be retired because he would not want anybody to know that if he was still practicing. I know. God, I wouldn't want anyone to know it ever. I I I am not the person to be like, I had like contact with Jeffrey Dahmer who wants to ask me. (laughs) 
I would just go straight to the bar at the party. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I want to live my life. And so, you know, as punishment for this, like, you know, sexually assaulting this young boy, he gets like a work release program. Because he's like, I'm going to admit to everything except the touching part. And I'm like, bitch, that's exactly what you're fucking charged with. Exactly. Like, what- Basically, he skates free. And he, okay, are you ready? He moves into the Oxford Apartments in Milwaukee, Unit 213. It's May 1990. Right. We meet his next door neighbor and personal friend Pamela Bass. Pam? <laughs> Pam. She is a complicated character, you guys. Pam is... <laughs> Just keep saying her name. Pam. Because I don't know where to go with it. I know. <laughs> Pam says the following statement. Yes. I had asked him a number of times, why are you down here? You know, when you can, can go somewhere else and stay like in West Alice at your grandmother's house or something like that, and you would rather be here where you're surrounded by blacks. And that's all that was over there was black people and some Asian people. It was like, I like it better down here because I keep more to myself. She really wants us to know that she couldn't understand why Jeffrey Dahmer wanted to live in an all black area with a couple Asian people in it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you just heard her say it. My job is to say, is to talk about the documentaries. Yeah, totally. Then she starts to tell us that like she developed a soft spot for him Uh, and she and her husband were trying to find him a girlfriend. Yeah. You guys barking up the wrong tree. (laughs) Right. Right. And as soon as he moves in like the next day Pam and her husband are like do you need any help moving the fridge and he's like no 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 I'm all good just leave me alone oh, because he's tr- he's luring in men to his apartment yeah so he lures in this guy named Raymond Smith for a drink he does the same thing you guys he drugs him he strangles him he assaults dismembers and disposes yeah and then nothing happens now we're in June 1990 right and so a month later he does it again this victim's name is Edward Smith same thing drugs rapes assaults strangles the whole deal right the thing is like this is where we learn from the doctors is like sometimes the guys like didn't want to be cozy like sometimes the guys who they just wanted to get laid the men he's inviting back don't want to just lie there they want to get it on get it over with and get going uh he found that enormously frustrating some of them rolled him some of them were nasty to him he didn't want to get into an argument or get into a fight or get robbed He wanted somebody to lie there with him. They weren't there for a relationship, their prerogative, whatever. And Dahmer was like, no, no, no. I want you to lay here with me and act like a dead body. He just like, (laughs) I'm laughing because it's all so absurd. He just wanted them to like, shut up and like play dead. And the thing is like, he didn't want them to struggle. He wanted to dehumanize these people. And they were just like, look, I met you at like the one secret gay bar here. I'm not really looking for a relationship right now. Yeah. And like, you know, this is, we're back to the interview with Nancy and Dahmer and like, this is where where he's talking about how like it's a process it doesn't happen overnight uh when you uh depersonalize another person and view them as just an object uh, an object for pleasure instead of a, a living breathing human being it it seems to make it easier to uh do things you shouldn't do. Right. And so he's like, well, I can explain everything that I did to them in detail, but he couldn't remember their names. And I'm like, oh, so it's kind of like how your bartender knows your drink, but not your name. Totally. Totally. Is that exactly the same thing? No, a little different. (laughs) But if anyone has ever been a bartender, you know, you have your regulars. You're looking at them. I know. I know. I'm talking to our listeners. I know. (laughs) 
<laughs> Beef eater, straight up, no vermouth is here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is he? How's his daughter? Right, yeah, you know everything yeah. about them. You've <laughs> given them the best advice they've ever had. You guys are pals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You're yeah. You're actual friends. Yeah. Can't remember his name. <laughs> know exactly what the credit card looks like to totally. run the tab. Yeah, and then yeah. you try to look at it, but then you're trying to quiz yourself yeah. during a busy night on everyone's name. And it's like, girl, you're, those names are never going to stick. No, I'm the same way. You don't have to know my name. Just know my drink. Right. <laughs> my drink is my name. Exactly. <laughs> Um, you guys, that's how episode one ends. So episode two is available right now in ad-free on the Patreon at the $5 level. You don't have to wait to watch us really go down into a very dark place, yeah. which is about to happen in episode two. Yeah, if you need like 20 minutes to collect yourself, take it. Totally. But you don't have to wait like all that time. You can wait 20 minutes. I'm glad that we found as many laughs as we did in episode one. That, that actually makes me feel good about episode two. Just sing it out. Sing out, Louise. Sing exactly. through it. We'll always find a way. <laughs> Oh, you guys, we love you so much. Just a reminder, we're girl, we're going to Broadway. I know. Speaking of show tunes. Oh my God. Give my regards to Broadway June 1st, you guys. Yeah. It's going to be a crazy show. We're making history. We're the first podcast to ever play Broadway. I can't believe it. We can give those regards ourselves because we'll be there Monday, June 1st. Exactly. So if you're coming, get your tickets. As of this recording, we're down to about 60 tickets left. Join us. Join us. If you want more Julian and me, get in the Patreon. At the $5 level, you guys, over 100 full bonus episodes. It's where we cover all of the series you want us to cover. Yeah, Jinx, Making a Murderer, Lorena. Serial Season 1. OJ. Uh, OJ, uh, Lacey Peterson, Menendez Brothers, Don't F With Cats. It's crazy town. Yeah, crazy. Oh my God. Okay, girl, uh, where can they find us? They can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. That's our website. You get everything you could possibly need there. It's with Patreon link, merch, the CS Live link for live shows. Promo codes. Promo codes. All of our episodes are there. Yeah. They can find you <laughs> at Jillian with a G on all the things. And you are, it's been so long since I we've know. done this. You are Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. And the TCO Instagram is True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Right. You guys, we also just launched a brand new podcast, Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight. Yes. I was on Access Hollywood talking about Amazing. it. Whatever. Yeah. Check it out if you haven't. It's four episodes with me and Sky Borgman, the director of the film. All the crazy bonkers shit that didn't make it into the documentary. Go check it out. All four episodes are available right now. It's crazy. Um, and don't forget, you can get episode two right now at the $5 level on the Patreon. Yeah, here we go. And then our outtakes, which are going to be amazing. I was really afraid that we were just going to like not have anything to say, but I think our outtakes are going to be bonkers. We sung it out. All right, we love you. Bye, thank Bye. you. No one, no one had a clue as to what was happening for, for over a decade. We became like a killing machine out of control. It just seemed to be an absence of any moral compass. He was an evil man. The manager came up and complained about the smell. He told the manager, well, my fish died. He had a very good disguise. I had uh, these obsessive uh, desires and, and uh, thoughts wanting to control them. He immediately said, when you find out what I did, you're going to want to kill me. You love who the true human being is, and you take that with you to your grave. You seem like a very normal boy. He covered up so much. Murder, necrophilia, zombies, religious ritual, fats and acid, body parts, aroused, consuming, grilling, cooked them, bad people. He was our son. Now's a good time to tell the people that with like the threat of coronavirus, we figured out a way to keep recording, even if we all have to stay inside. You did. You're at 100. I am <laughs> very much not. 
Please. <laughs> it's the beginning and the end of where Dahmer and I agree. <laughs> I think we agree on one thing. Which yeah. is that gay bars are fun. Gay bars are super fun. Yeah. Then it ends there because right. the rest of his sentences I super don't agree with whatever <laughs> right. he wants to do next. <laughs> You know how my notes are all in different colors? I have a specific color for Jillian's not gonna like this. What color is it? It's like, it's red. <laughs> I just don't understand why taxidermy is a thing. I don't, it also was very Norman Bates to me. You know, he was, he did taxidermy. Yes. He's not real. Yeah, I was, um, <laughs> yes, fictional character. Yeah. The only time I've ever counted your drink where I'm like, girl, is that only your sixth? You get mad sometimes if I, I know. Don't. If I'm just like, no, I'm, not, I'm okay. And you're like, really? I know. And I'm like, yeah. That's usually oh. if we're doing like a bank heist or something. And with totally. the Dahmer, I'm just like, girl, give no, me. No, we need it. You only brought one bottle for I me. wasn't going to drink tonight, but here we are. It's Dahmer. Hashtag so ghoulish. That's my, that's my drag name. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like S-O-U-X ghoulish. Sorry, ghoulish. <laughs> um... But also, he had to move out of his grandmother's house. The dad was like, you got to get out of here, girl. So he Grandma got was like, ah! <laughs> and translation. Girl, get out of here. You didn't pray the gay away hard enough. Exactly. Goodbye. In, with hindsight of like, you know, it being 2020, if a guy fondles- <laughs> Literally, a like hindsight's 2020 and it is 2020. Oh my God, that's funny. Still quick. I still I got know. it. <laughs> this podcast is going to go on forever, you guys. I still got it. Sharp as a whip. <laughs>